Welcome, Redeemed Church, family and friends. It's so exciting to uh, come to you today and begin to come to a conclusion in our series with the book of Romans. It's been an exciting opportunity to go through an entire book of the Bible and to be able to really see from beginning to end the transformation that's taking place as the Word of God comes to live uh, within us. In today's chapters, we're going to find out, because we're going to do two chapters today, Romans chapters 14 and 15, and we're going to see that there is a question that we're going to be hit with, and that question basically is that we're supposed to be moving forward as a church, so the church will move forward and it will overcome and even conquer evil, that's the goal. But how we do that is going to be what's set up in chapter 14 and 15. And the question is going to be like this. If we're moving away from trying to preserve ourselves as a church or to be anemic as a church, what are we moving to or moving toward? So I just, you know, it's always good to stop and ask yourselves, where are, where are we and where are we going? That's a great question. And that's what's going to be happening in these two chapters today. It's interesting because there's always been what I call competing agendas as to what the church is. And from the world's perspective, I often hear things like uh, the church is a religious institution set out to suppress and limit people. I, I hear that often. And then from uh, the church's vantage point of those people who actually attend, they'll say something along the lines of the church is a place where we are safe from the ills of society and we're trying to make a difference. And so somewhere between those two things, is what uh, we're going to learn and discuss about today. What I will acknowledge uh, with each one of us is that the truth of what the church is isn't so much of what we're currently doing, but it's what we could be doing. What, what could actually happen if the life of Christ was living through us in such a way that something was transformational in the way that we live? And that's where we're going. I really loved Romans chapter uh, 13, and you heard the message last week by Kurt, and it had to do with how does the government impact Christianity, and how do Christians interact with the government, and basically what uh, Kurt said in his message, and again, I don't want to oversimplify it or summarize it, but he said Christians are not to shut ourselves off from society, nor are we to be conformed by it. It's just a great word, and so, so we know that we can't trust the government to do the transformation right? And there's a reason for that. It's because the government is made of human beings and it has a corruption to it. It's not going to be able to carry the life of Christ. It never was desired. I mean, designed uh, to carry the life of Christ. Christ wants his life in real people, which is who the church really is. So if we're moving ourselves uh, from the world and we're moving towards something else, can I tell you that where we're really going to be moving is to overcome evil. And Liz hit that so well. I mean, Romans 12 was a huge chapter, but when it came right down to it, Romans chapter 12, verse 21 said, and do not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so that was the whole marching orders that God's given the church. It's that I have an assignment for you, and it's to overcome evil. But the way that you're going to overcome evil is by doing good. And a lot of us, we just kind of check off right there. It's like, oh yeah, okay, well that, you know, that sounds nice. No, the reality is that we're not to run from evil any more than we would be to run to it. We're to overcome it 
by being the life of Christ, by being good right in the middle of it. That's the way it really works. And that, man, that is revolutionary. That's, that's what I would say it's the difference of, of going to a cage fight versus the suburban fight. It's completely different. We're not running away from anything. We're not trying to hide. We're trying to stand to become something worth living and dying for, and that is Jesus Christ. So it's kind of revolutionary if you really catch it. And what I don't want us to do is to see in these two chapters the uh, impact as being less significant than it is because it's so straightforward. When God says, I want you to change the world by overcoming evil with good, then he's going to move. Can't trust the government to do it. You are the ones who will do it. And you will do it by having a life dedicated towards faith and focus on the eternal other than what's going on in the surface level or the temporal. That's how you will do it. It's going to be revolutionary, but it's so simple we miss it. So the power of good is right here. It's no different than the Wizard of Oz with Dorothy always trying to get home. And the whole time she had the silly ruby slippers on, all she had to do was click her heels three times and say, there's no place like home. You know, It was there the whole time. Christ is in the life of the believer. He's ready to transform the world by overcoming evil through you and I being good. It's a powerful statement. So, do you first of all even see that our mission is to overcome evil? For some of us, when we became uh, Christians and started going to church, we thought we're supposed to be able to learn how to coexist in a messed up, hurting, dying world. And in some way, we want to be protected from the ills of society while bringing a positive impact on it. Then what happens is because that doesn't work, we move to this other area, which is we better start imposing the values of Christianity on society because it's messed up. Well, I'm telling you, imposing our values on society is no more effective to overcome evil than it is to scream and yell at people. It just doesn't work. It never has. It never will. It may suppress people for a little bit, but when they come out of that, they're going to come out of it with a fervor that was worse than when uh, they started. So imposing values won't work. Inviting people to come to know the life of Christ will work. And that's what, that's what we're going to see. And so in a sense, I want you to acknowledge that God is going to call us into a, a new path of moving away from isolating or imposing into inviting people to see the goodness of Christ. And when we see and are being the goodness of Christ, he actually believes, and we're going to see it in this, in this uh, two chapters, that it'll be transformational and it'll revolutionize not only us, but the person who interacts with us. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 14. And I'm going to kind of do an overview of 14 and 15 for a moment. But basically, this is what 14.1 says. It says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Then we're going to land on 15.13. And it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to end in 1532, and it's going to say, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Do you see what's happening here? 
at the very beginning, in Romans 14, it says, I want you to learn how to accept people. Accept them, even if they're weak in the faith, it doesn't matter. Begin with an acceptance of people. Then we're going to move to this place where God will fill you with hope and joy for that person that you just accepted. And then because of that, when I come and get to see you in the church, it's going to be in the middle of chaos, Rome, right? One of the most uh, horrific cities as an antithesis to Christianity. When I come, I will find refreshing rest in your company because you're doing this, because you're accepting people, because you're able to really see and, and bring hope to these individuals in the middle of the chaos. And in that, we're going to find the true refreshing in the presence of God. So that's where it's going. It's worth listening to. So the real tool for a revolutionary life in Christianity really isn't so much in what you find. It's in what you bring. Will you bring certain things? Will you bring the life of Christ into the middle of the situation that you're going to find yourselves in? And so he's going to say there's, there's really only one way. There's only one tool that's going to work. And this tool is, is very clear. And for, again, for some of us, we're going to miss it because it's so simple. But this is what it's going to say. It's going to say the real tool for a revolutionary life is to stop judging people and start encouraging them. Is this, is this just too straightforward or what? Romans chapter 14 is all about stop judging people. Then you move to 15 and start encouraging them. So I'm so excited to bring you really a one-point sermon with two chapters today. The one point is, stop judging. The second outcome of that, or the outcome is, start encouraging people. So it's, not, it's, it's nice to know what we're supposed to stop doing, especially when you're able to see what we can do, right? All right, so stop judging people. It's, it's just right there, Romans 14.1. Now accept the one who's weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Let me ask you a question in the first place. Why do we even judge people? You know, it's, it's interesting. It's like we're professionals at this, and yet we're told in God's Word not to. And I think it's because uh, perhaps there's somewhere where we're trying to maybe justify our own sense of self at the expense of tearing down another person. I, I think that almost has to be what it is. And when we justify what we're doing is we're trying to validate and edify ourselves, right? But again, it comes at the expense of tearing someone else down. And I think it causes us when we do that, if you, if you are on, the, on either end of that, if, if you're the one doing the judging or you're the one being judged, can I tell you it doesn't feel good? It just doesn't. And if we're supposed to overcome evil by doing good and by being good, we're already on the wrong path here. It's not going to work. I feel like uh, the times in my life when I've been able to really have sustainable change or really change my life is, is when somebody came together and just said, let's talk. And they, they began with listening, not with judging. They began with accepting the person and saying, help, help me understand where you're at and where you're going, which is really the question that uh, we started with from the very beginning. If we're supposed to move away from this running away from society, if we're supposed to move away from judging people, what are we supposed to be moving to? We're supposed to be moving to connecting with people through listening, receiving, learning with them. And it's through that environment of learning together that everything changes. Friends, I want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ is God himself coming to planet Earth. And he was not an imposing figure. He did not come and impose his values on anyone. 
He was an invitation to everyone to see life differently. And that's what happens when you come at it from, let's learn together. And that's why he asked questions. He wasn't being cynical. He wasn't being sarcastic. He was actually literally trying to open the spirit of human beings to learn from him. And so we need to move away from having this uh, judgment. And one of the uh, things that I think keeps us from doing it well is, again, even if, if it's not because we're trying to validate ourselves, we then have a fear, a fear of the fact that wrong may prevail over right. So in other words, if we don't judge you, what happens if wrong wins? People, I, again, I want you to go back to Romans 12, 21. That fear should be taken off the table. It says, do not overcome evil with evil, overcome evil with good. It doesn't say that you're supposed to point out evil or ignore from it or right or run from it. You're supposed to make sure that you're able to just stand and do what is right and good and holy in the middle of it. That's what we're called to do. So one of the uh, things that we have to move away from is this need that we may have to be right or to be afraid that if we don't tell people they're wrong, that they'll think they're right. God has set it up much deeper than that. From the very beginning, we're told that God has placed eternity in our hearts, in the very heart of the human being. What happens is, this is what we've learned from the book of Romans, <clears throat> mankind then moves away from that sense of strength and hope in eternity and begins to then go to God in a courtroom setting as if we're going to elevate ourselves to be able to be received, accepted, and loved by God. So in other words, God, I think there really is an eternity. I think you're real. So I want to be able to prove to you that you should accept me. And God saying that won't work. Because as soon as we go to him and to try to elevate ourselves, the very thing he's looking for, which is for us to be selfless and not to be self-preserving, but self-giving away, we're already on the whole wrong you know, track and path. Kurt had said it so well at the beginning of the session. He said, basically, there are two paths. One path is going to lead to the Lord Jesus Christ. The other path is going to lead away from him. And then he said, and by the way, you only have one choice because you can't choose not to choose. So you're either choosing the path that leads to Christ or the path that doesn't. And Jesus, I mean, he didn't give people any room to miss this. He said in John of 146 he said I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but through me and so it's not like he's he's imposing himself he's saying do you not see I am the way I'm right here in the middle of you let's learn together learn from me and I can help you find the way it wasn't that if you don't turn to me you will turn on the wrong path even though that's true it was come to me all you are weary and heavy laden all you who are tired of the sin and the mess in our lives all of us who want to run away run to me instead and we can overcome this together because that's the way i've set it up so that eternity in your heart will become ignited with the life of christ and it'll be a revolutionary life that's the way it's supposed to work and so we don't have to be afraid that if we stand and do what's right and invite people to christ or if we invite ourselves to draw nearer to the heart of God that we're not going to overcome. We are overcoming as soon as we do that. That's the way it's supposed to work. And so, friends, I just want you to acknowledge that if you can help a person become ready 
to really talk about the things that matter most, it's because they recognize that we're ready to listen about what matters most to them. That's the invitation. That's what happens when we quit judging. I remember in uh, college, I just moved back up to the state of Washington and I was taking colleges at Western and uh, doing very well. I always did well in school. I'm grateful for that. And I uh, was having a final, and it was interesting because uh, in most of the classes in college, you have a, uh, a midterm and a final exam, and your grade is those two things. And in this class, I did pretty well in the midterm, but I knew that on the final, whatever grade you made on the final was your final, it, it could overcome whatever grade you made on your midterm because it, it was given more uh, uh, strength in terms of the outcomes. And so it was weighed more heavily. Well, I'm really relying on doing well. I wanted to make straight A's that semester. And so on the morning of the exam, I was so sick that I really, I just couldn't get out of bed. I'd never missed a, a, a test before. And so I missed the exam. And I went the very next day and I went to the professor and said, hey, I was sick. I'm sorry, I couldn't take the exam. Can I take it today? And he said, no, it doesn't work that way. He says, you don't, you don't get to do a makeup exam a day later because it's not fair to the students who made it on time. And I said, well, I was really sick. And he said, well, you don't seem very sick today. And, and it's like, man, it's not my problem that I'm resilient. I mean, and so I said, well, what can I do? And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, even though it's unfair to me to have to give you a makeup exam and make a new exam for you, it would be unfair for the class if you took the same one because you've had an extra day to study and you could have asked them about what the questions were on the test and he stopped and paused and looked at me like that's what I had done and in this case I hadn't uh, done that I mean not that I'm above that or hadn't done that before type of things but anyway I hadn't done that and so I said well uh, I think whatever is fair on your side I'm going to do so he said this is what I'm going to do if you will take the test right now I'm going to write down 10 questions and you're just going to have to do a full essay instead of the multiple choice and exam that the rest of the students took. And that's your option. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And so he wrote down 10 questions over the entire course and in the book and gave it to me. You know what was interesting is I aced that exam. Why? Because I really did know the content. But more importantly, when I had taken multiple choice type tests and uh, I never did well because you have to weed out what's wrong to find out what's right. And my, sometimes my brain gets stuck on what's wrong and which one's more wrong or less wrong, what's the best answer. I, I put a lot of sideways energy in that. But when somebody said, tell me about the economic impact of a basic industry, man, I could do it. I could just go and, and go and flow. And I did. And I killed it. And, and he picked up my exam afterwards. He came you know, back in the 90 minutes or I was off to the corner. He looked at me and he said, wow, he said, this is, this is really good stuff. You have truly mastered the content. Good job. And I learned an incredibly important life lesson that day, that when you move away from focusing on what's wrong and being judgmental and you move towards what is right, there's something so much more life-giving in that than it is in trying to literally have to wade through life. When God says, stop judging and move towards encouraging people, it changes everything. That's the beginning of how you overcome evil with good. You literally stop judging, which is evil, and you move to encouraging people, which is good. 
bam, it's a power move by God, and it really does work. For some of us, we're looking and we're saying, well, wait a minute, I'm not sure that I'm going to give up judging uh, that quickly. Uh, we're supposed to be the salt in the life, and we take some of those passages and we move them to a, a place for us to uh, be able to, uh, again, uh, release information instead of learn together. But I'm suggesting to you, we are the salt and light. And it's not a burden to be the salt and light. You are naturally the salt and light of the world. You are naturally able to carry the life of Christ. And you are supernaturally empowered to engage the very things of God that overcome the, the world. And one of them is the fear of being wrong or focusing on what's wrong. Can we please move towards stop judging and just doing what's right? Well, uh, for those of us who don't know how to turn on that collective power of grace that comes from learning together and accepting each other, I'm going to give you three reasons why you should stop judging. Because the Bible says so, because the Bible says so, because the Bible says so. Uh, if you want me a little more specific, as soon as you and I judge, we're guaranteed that we will be judged to the same degree that we judge others. That's enough to make me stop. And, you know, just for some of us that need it, that's Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 2, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ saying it. Do not judge so that you will not be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. Bam. That's enough. I'm, I agree, God. I'm moving away. Here's another guarantee of judgment is judgment releases chaos and the disruption of grace every time. Judgment releases chaos and the disruption of grace every time you judge. And so it's supposed to be that the life of Christ moves forward through grace, right? That's how healing comes from grace. Everything that's right comes from grace. Judgment opens the door to chaos. And you can see that in, in Hosea 8-7. It's a fantastic uh, word given to the people of God. And it says, for you sow the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. You think that you can just go out there and throw a little wind, throw you know, a little fire. It's going to be a blaze, and it's going to come back, and it's going to burn you. You do it, and you put a little wind into motion, what's going to come back to you is a whirlwind. That's how it works. And by the way, if, if that's not clear enough in the Old Testament, read Psalm 109, verses 1 through uh, 31. The whole chapter of Psalm 109 is about the dangers of judging people and then being turned over to that judgment to where it decays the life of all that is good inside of us. But here's the, here's the number three reason that I'm going to suggest that you not uh, judge, because when we judge other people, we literally allow Satan to have access to the throne of God to speak through us. So we know that Satan's been cast down and out of the presence of God, but the only way that he has a voice before God is through God's people. So the only way you and I can even uh, get to allow the enemy to have air, if you will, in the presence of God is when we speak his accusations against one another. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. It's a very sobering passage. It says, For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. And if we stop right there, how exciting is that? Uh, the enemy is no longer able to have a right to be in the presence of God in the throne room of God. He who accuses them before our God day and night. That's what the enemy does. Well, how is the enemy now able to accuse anyone? He's able to accuse people through the voice of people who have access to their throne of God, namely Christians. Isn't it interesting that in Romans chapter 14, 
It is two Christians saying, Christians, quit judging other Christians who are weak in their faith. Stop it. Because why? Because you're just giving a foothold of evil to be worked out in that person's life, and it's exhausting to God. He died so that he wouldn't have to hear the accusations. He died because he took every accusation on himself. And when we do the judgment, we're just opening that whole thing up again. And I just feel sorry for God sometimes. How exhausting for him to see his own children giving voice to what he died for. All right, so again, judgment, not an option. What a beautiful thing to be relieved of that responsibility in our own minds. The responsibility is to have faith that when we do what is right, God changes everything. That's the power. All right, so I'm just going to read uh, Romans 14.1 and, and go through the entire chapter, but a few verses at it to hit it. And I want you just to allow this new perspective that we don't have to judge anymore to land as I'm reading this and see what happens in terms of releasing the power of goodness when we step out of the place of judgment. Romans 14.1, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of God? Verse 10, but you, why do you judge your brother, or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So again, are we concerned that God isn't going to be able to get it right, that we have to help voice so he can see more and understand more, or does, do we feel like God needs to hear our perspective on the situation? Friends, God's not going to miss anything. He knows better than we do. Our voice isn't going to bring value to that person through accusations or judgment. Our voice will only bring value when we lift another person up. And so, uh, verse 16 in, in the same chapter, it's going to go on and says, Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil, evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The faith which you have have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. This is so fascinating to me. Not only do we get the tool that revolutionizes the life of the believer, which is do good, be good in the middle of evil. That's how you conquer it. That's revolutionary enough. But we actually now have a definition from the word of God of what sin is. Anything that's not from faith is sin. At the root of all sin is someone who doesn't have faith. That's powerful. I hope we get that. And the kingdom of God is actually an invitation to walk in a freedom from all that is wrong by having faith in what is right. That's the invitation. And now I'm going to move to the good news. Remember we said there's the revolutionary life is, going to, is a tool. The tool is stop judging people. Bam. It's, it's, we, I can't be more clear than what we just shared. But here's number two, this is what you can do. Start encouraging one another. And so if we lift another person up, 
what we're actually doing is if we're not trying to get the credit for it, if we're doing it because we're just speaking life into them, we are actually being rewarded by seeing them move into life. That's the reward in itself. Encouragement is a powerful way to release the truth of God that can change a person and overcome the uh, deception and evil that's in our life. Catching me doing something right, friends, carries me further than correcting me for doing something wrong. And I hope you can hear that. Catching me doing what is right will carry me further, create greater change in my life than correcting me for doing what's wrong. That's that powerful energy that we want to be able to uh, give people so that they have the momentum to do what's right because it's hard. You're going to see this. I'm going to ask you to read with me in Romans 15, 1 as we start moving down this road of encouragement. Romans 15, 1 and following says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and gives encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see here that the shame of all of us, all of our sin, everything that we've done wrong, every bit of life where our faith was weak and distorted, it all fell on him. He took it all. And when he took it all, it wasn't for reproach against us. There's no shame in him. He took it because it was in our best interest for him to take it so that we could be free from it. That's what it means to be a Christian. Free from what, all that is wrong. Free from everything that would cause us to walk in a, in a way that was distorted from God's desire for our lives. A freedom to get out of the darkness and to be able to understand who the light is and how to be the light. It's so amazing to me the difference between telling somebody what's wrong in their life and inviting them into the new life. This, what Jesus did was he opened up the very door to heaven and imparted truth to us in such a way that we could find it. And that we, I mean, because he was it. Can you hear that when, we, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's not saying if you don't do it my way, you won't make it. He's saying, can you see me? Can you see how good I am? I am the way. Come this way. Quit running. Anyway, I, I just want to pick back up in Romans 15, now down to verse 13. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Friends, if we can just do that, we have overcome evil. We've put all the right things into motion. How exciting. And do you see that Paul's saying this in advance? He's not saying it because, because he's hoping it will be true. He's saying it because I will come to you with this heart, this mindset. 
I will come to you in the fullness of Christ. I'm not going to come with judgment. I'm not going to come with, you know, accepting a portion of who you are. I'm coming in the fullness of Christ so that we can be a revolutionized, alive, believing person. That's why I'm coming. And I love it because he could, he could see that he carried that in him. We need to be able to see it. And so, believer, I don't know how well you've judged yourself, but I'm asking you, don't even judge. Them. Don't do that. Step out of judgment for a moment and just look into the heart of the Lord. Look for who he is and what he stands for. And just receive from him forgiveness for sin. Receive from him a freedom from trying to be religious and change and make a difference and take care of all the ills of society. Take that off your plate. Just, just receive his goodness. And then walk in it. Just the, the best that we're able. Believe that when you walk in his goodness, it changes me. It changes you. And that changes everything. And that's the door and the invitation to others. He did not come to impose, but to set us free. And that's how it works. And I want you to know that the Bible tells us that we're on this journey and it's not a burden, but it's actually an opportunity to learn, to learn with him and through him. And so church, this is who we really are. We are the reflection of all that's good on planet Earth. We're, the, we're, we're it. Look left, look right, look up, look down, look inside. But look to him and see all that is good. And we just carry it. And just start releasing it, just like Paul did. Be willing to be able to share with other individuals that we are on this amazing journey to be able to have the faith to see what is going to bring out the best outcome. And that we stand for that. And whether it comes in our lifetime or we get to see it the way we wanted to, uh, that's not even the point. The point is, is that we brought it. At uh, my company, I've been, been able to write a curriculum on leadership. And I was able to redefine leadership and, and uh, be able to move forward with this. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm very pleased with it because in the redefining of leadership, it opens the door to move into a new direction. And here's how uh, I redefine leadership. Uh, again, with the permission of my company that I'm using uh, in my sphere of influence and work. Leadership is this, being the best version of myself to bring out the best in others. Just being the best version of myself to bring out the best in others, that's leadership. This is the exact same thing, friends. We need to rewrite, redefine Christianity. Christianity is not telling other people right or wrong. Christianity is not imposing our values. Christianity is not running and hiding. Christianity is being the best version of Christ that we can be so that others can see it, so that we can bring out the opportunities in the life of Christ and others. That's who we are. That's what we do. Friends, I'm not sure what your faith is in, but I'm telling you right now, this walk with God is a walk of faith. And anything that doesn't have a faith element tied to it, the root of it is going to lead you to the world or uh, what God's Word told us today is it's going to, it's going to lead you to sin. It's going to lead you away from the life of I, I want to ask you again, what are you moving away from, hopefully judgment, and what are you moving to, hopefully life in Christ? I, I just bless you. Uh, open up that part of yours. Believe again. He 
you put eternity in it. Ask Him. Literally receive you. Ask Him that, that we really genuinely want to have His life at the core of ours. Give Him what you have. He'll take it. He'll, he'll take you further than you could ever imagine. And that will put all of us on the road to overcoming evil with good. Again, God bless you. Amen.